So what should we talk about? Question, right? Today tonight, talk about the final opportunity to talk about. That will be the next retreat. Oh, okay. Or advice, anything you can think about through your uh, personal experience and teaching experience, anything you can advise us mm-hmm. to take home? Well, there's a lot of things. Uh, of course, many of them I've already said, I think. But one thing that I think I can't say too often is. Uh, how much benefit you'll get from uh, having a regular daily practice, uh, always uh, at the same time and for as long as you can, uh, the, uh, as much time as you can fit into your daily schedule of activities. And I know uh, some of you, some of you have families, some of you have uh, work that you have to do. But some are also uh, retired and have a lot of leeway. So different situations, uh, but the the greatest benefit, you know, in uh, in a retreat like this, you reach a certain degree of concentration, and uh, uh, then you'd like to keep that as long as possible, and maybe even increase that. And uh, the best way to do that is is to keep up a, a, a good regular practice. Uh, and the other thing that I, as, uh, I, I know I've talked about this before too, but is taking advantage of any opportunity that you have uh, during the day to, uh, to meditate a little bit. And you know a few minutes you have free here and there while you're waiting for something. Uh, or, well, any circumstance that you can find, it doesn't hurt. Just put your attention on your breath and just practice concentration in that period. And then, being mindful, no matter what you do. Try to be as mindful as you can. A lot of, a lot of your time, every day, uh, consists of activities that are very conducive to mindful practice. Uh, and just uh, the process of directing and sustaining your attention. This, this is so much of what the training involves is that uh, we become very, very skilled at directing our attention where we wish to direct it and then sustaining our attention. And then while sustaining our attention, uh, not allowing distractions to carry us away. And that, of course, is something you can do all of the time. I talked about the fact that you can do that while you're driving. You can do that while you're doing housework. You can do that while you're doing your, uh, all of uh, your personal hygiene things. While, you know, there's so many activities during the day that don't require 
a lot of, uh, of mental activity and talking and thinking and things like that. And in all of those, you can practice um, directing and sustaining your attention and at the same time practice being fully aware of what your body is doing and what your, how your mind is reacting, uh, being, uh, being aware uh, to the degree that you have understood the nature of the three characteristics, uh, uh, reminding yourself over and over again to try to see the impermanence in every situation that you're in. Try to see the emptiness of uh, phenomena and also try to see the, uh, the nature of, of no self, the, the, the fact that there's no self present that is controlling and experiencing. And then also reminding yourself that, that um, Nothing is worth clinging to because clinging to things only brings dissatisfaction and that perceiving things as being uh, permanent entities that are capable of providing satisfaction in themselves will only lead to disappointment. So just practicing the Dharma in general in every way, whenever you have, whenever you have the opportunity, whenever you have the, the freedom to use your mind in this way. Use your mind in this way. But I'd like to give you one more practice that I haven't really told you about and it's extremely powerful. It will make a huge difference in your life. And that is using a period of daily reflection to, uh, to change the way that your mind works. And what I mean by this is that this has to do with practicing uh, the perfections of generosity, virtue, and patience. And what you do is once each day, and a very good time would be uh, maybe before you meditate, to take a few minutes to reflect. In the last 24 hours, uh, on both of both your missed opportunities and your successes in practicing these virtues. Yeah, you reflect on both, and. Uh, Start, start with only one or two, and that could be any one of, uh, of the uh, precepts of uh, uh, right speech. It, it could be uh, any one of, uh, of refraining from wrong speech, refraining from harsh speech, refraining from divisive speech, refraining from gossip and idle speech, or uh, not causing harm to other beings, uh, not taking what is not freely given, uh, any kind of conduct in intimate relationships with others that uh, is not as unwholesome and could cause suffering to anyone. So 
not just sexual misconduct, but any kind of close, intimate, personal relationship has that potential. And so uh, uh, th that's one of the things that you could, could take. Or you could take instances of ill will, impatience, anger, hatred, anything like that. Uh, you, uh, you could, or you could take the practice of generosity. So you can take any one or two of these and make this the basis for a practice to change the way your mind works, to change the way you are, to change your karma, and to purify your virtue. So, to take an example, you might decide that it's uh, ill will and impatience, negative states of mind that arise you know, out of uh, aversion that you would like to change in yourself. And so how you would do this practice then is that once each day before you meditate, as I say, is a very, very good time, is that you would reflect in the last 24 hours what were the circumstances where uh, you allowed, or, or where you had the experience of mental states arising, where you had the experience of mental states arising, uh, negative mental states arising? In other words, where you had the experience of feeling irritated or impatient or angry or judgmental, and recall all of those experiences. And then, uh, if you, uh, and just, just remember them. But yes, on this occasion, I, I became angry. So that what you want to do is you want to try to be aware any time these negative mental states actually arise. Best of all, you want to be aware before they arise. So you're trying to do this. So in your reflection then, you think, well, on this occasion, I became, I was becoming irritable and I, re I realized it and I was mindful. And then uh, I tried to replace my irritable state of mind with a, a more positive state of mind. That's a success. And then you might remember another thing that happened later on in the day where you became angry and you didn't realize it at the time. You became angry and you said something and you went off and you forgot about it. In this way, in this reflection, this will help you to become aware of these things when they arise. Then when you're aware of them, when they arise, the most important thing is to be fully mindful of them, to just uh, recognize that this is, uh, this is uh, a negative mental state arising. And you can put a label on it. This is anger. This is impatience. Uh, this is irritability. This is judgment. And see it objectively. See it that this is something my mind is making. This is something my mind has created. My mind has created it out of past conditioning. I'm not angry because what this person said. I'm angry because my mind is conditioned to react with anger. Try to see it and understand in that way. Uh, and you may not immediately see it and understand it in that way, but try to remember that.
and observe the anger and observe it as just a phenomenon that's coming up. And keep in mind that you don't blame yourself for this, for being angry, because you're angry right now because in the past you created the conditions for anger to arise. You created the karma to become angry in the present. Now, what do you do with it when you feel the anger is there? Well, if you're mindful, you have the chance not to act on it. If you're mindful, you can restrain yourself from speaking out of anger or acting out of anger. And that's a good thing. But maybe even you're not, maybe even you can't do that because your conditioning is so strong that uh, that you can't overcome that conditioning and you go ahead and you speak out of anger. But that's all right. Notice that you've done that. Be aware that you've done that. Be aware that this anger causes actions and these actions will produce consequences. The most immediate consequence of speaking out of angry, anger is that it, uh, it hurts somebody else in some way. That's the most immediate consequence. But it has other consequences, and one of the consequences is that, that, it, that you will get a karmic result from it in the future. And one kind of karmic result is that uh, you, it, it keeps that tendency to become angry and speak out of anger uh, happening, to continue it. Okay? That's the antidote. You see, when you, when you recognize that, when you recognize that this anger is something that's unwholesome and undesirable, even though, even though you've uh, said something, that's an antidote to that karma. If you just say something out of anger and then say, oh, I shouldn't have said that, and push it out of your mind, the imprint is still left in your mind. The imprint is still there. But if you look at that and say, I shouldn't have said that, and then clearly recognize why, and clearly hold the, the wish that you can cease to act out of anger in the future, that also makes an imprint. That makes a very strong imprint as well. That makes an imprint that counteracts the other one. And so now you don't need to feel bad, you don't need to beat yourself up because you became angry and spoke out of anger. You've carried out an appropriate reaction. Um, after a while you'll find that you can restrain yourself before you speak or act. And then after a while you'll find the anger comes up and that you can actually let go of the anger and replace it with a more wholesome mental state, a mental state that is based in understanding and compassion. Uh, there are many different things that can cause you to become irritable or impatient or angry. Some of them involve people, some of them involve situations, some of them involve inanimate objects. Um, but if you can bring mindful awareness and understanding into the situation, and if it involves 
another person, if you can bring compassion into the situation, then these can replace the anger. And each time you do this, it has a very powerful effect of, of replacing the seeds for negative mental states with the seeds for positive mental states. Well, first, first by, uh, you know, first by planting the seeds for a different kind of karma. And then as you continue to do this, eventually you're replacing the, the, the uh, karmic seeds for negative mental states by with the karmic seeds for positive mental states. After a while you become a different kind of person. And so, in, in, in this way you change yourself and you bring, you, you, uh, you purify your, your virtue and you become a kind of being who can more easily succeed in the path of meditation and more easily succeed in attaining to the path to awakening. But the problem, of course, that we always have is that we have good intentions and good hopes and good aspirations. We just say to ourselves, uh, I would like to never engage in, in uh, wrong speech of any kind. And then we forget and we do it, and we forget and we do it again. Or we say, I would like to never, uh, I would like to never uh, act and speak out of uh, anger and impatience again. But we forget and anger and impatience arises and we act and speak and it happens over and over again. So just having the intention and just having the wish by itself is not enough. We have to have the mindful awareness to know when those emotions arise and to recognize, to remember that we that this is something that we want to change. And that's where the reflection comes in. The daily practice of reflection. You may go you, you may decide tonight that okay I'm going to work on on uh, purifying my virtue with regard to with regard to what we just talked about, negative mental states. Then you reflect tomorrow, and you may find that there wasn't a single time in that 24 hours that you remembered, that you, you'll reflect and you'll remember several times you became impatient or angry, and not once did you remember at the time. But you reflect on it, and you remember those circumstances, and you remind yourself, if I had remembered, then I might have restrained myself. Or if I had remembered, I could have reminded myself of the uh, to be understanding and compassionate rather than allow this mental state to arise. Or if it was just a case of irritability and you recall that, well, I got myself in a bad mood because I got irritated because this broke and then I missed that important phone call and then this other thing happened, I ended up in a bad mood and was very irritated. You can remember that and say, okay, that made me unhappy. Uh, that caused me to do other things which created problems as well. And you say, if I had only had the mindfulness when I began to be irritated, I could have stopped that. You see? So you remember that and you think about that. Now the effect that that has, it may be for a few days that you still don't ever remember at the time. But after a few days of reflecting every day, it will start to happen that you start to be aware of it at the time. So now you have the opportunity to, to respond appropriately. 
rather than just letting the old conditioning, the old karma, play itself out and reinforce itself so that it will happen again and again. You have the opportunity of, uh, of catching the moment, capturing the moment, practicing mindful awareness, and changing the conditioning of your mind. So after you do this for a while, you'll still remember times, you'll still remember missed opportunities, but now you'll also recall the times where you became aware and you practiced mindfulness at the time that the uh, mental affliction was arising. That's important to reflect on that too. You see that that's a positive reinforcement and, and that helps as well. And so then you continue practicing in this way and eventually you'll catch yourself every time. And then you continue practicing in this way and you'll notice that the number of occasions in which these negative mental states arise begins to become fewer. And the strength of your reaction becomes weaker. So that something that would have made you angry only makes you irritated. Something that would have uh, made you quite upset only causes a mild feeling of impatience. And you continue to practice in this way until you become essentially freed of this kind of negative mental state. You can do this with, with every one of the virtues that we talked about. If you recognize that uh, one of the problems that you have is that you have strong attachments to things. Uh, that it is that the operation of desire in your life is something that you want to be able to uh, change and to do something about. Then you practice generosity in exactly this same way. You have to look and see what are the things that you are so attached to. Is it money? Is it things? Is it pleasurable experiences? Is it the praise of other people? Is it uh, power? Uh, whatever it is. Is it your time? Is your time so important to you that, that you hold on to it and you're attached to it and you don't want to give your, you don't want to share your time? Is it attention? Is it, is it uh, love? Do you crave uh, the, uh, the love and the uh, attention of other people all of the time? Is this an important attachment of yours? If you can recognize what your attachments are, then immediately, just by recognizing them, they become weaker. But also, you can practice generosity. If you're attached to your time, your time is so important to you that you don't want to share it. If you can see that attachment, then it can be, then it can be loosened. And then you can work towards being able to give some of your time to other people in different ways. You know, it's, uh, the, the practice of generosity isn't just to do with money and it isn't just to do with material things. It's all of those different things that we form attachments to. You know, it could be, it, it could be praise. Uh, some people, they always want to be, they always want to be the best. And they feel bad when somebody else, when other people say, the other person is better than them. 
because they always want to be the one that everyone says is the best. That kind of person, if, if you have that in you, and you see that, and you see, well, this is an attachment that I have, this is, this is a desire, you know, and I want to overcome that, then uh, you need to become aware whenever it happens. And then you need to learn to let go of that and then try giving it away. Instead, you start praising the other person. People start to say, oh, you're, you're so good. You say, well, not really. This person's even better. Okay. So, give away the things that you're attached to. Um, negative mental states, through the practice of, uh, of uh, patience and uh, desire through the practice of generosity. And all of the bad habits that we have that come out of uh, out of fear and desire and aversion that lead to us not keeping the precepts. These are all things that we can change in ourselves in this way. But the practice that I recommend to you is to choose those things that you feel like uh, are would that you'd really like to change in yourself right away. First thing, pick a pick a few, one or two that you can work on to begin with. And then practice daily reflection so that you start to become aware at the time these things arise, and then you can make the suitable changes. So, um, this may sound like, well, what does this have to do with meditation? But it actually has everything to do with meditation, in, uh, and in a couple of different ways. One thing is that as your meditation practice proceeds, a person who is not uh, filled with all kinds of desires for worldly things has fewer sources of distracting thoughts to come up in their meditation. A person who is not so vulnerable to negative mental states, uh, irritability and impatience, uh, their mind will be more peaceful when they go to meditate. Also, they won't have so many arguments and disagreements that keep running through their mind when they're trying to sit and meditate. Uh, the personality clashes and things like that. Um, and of course, through the practice of, of both of these and through the practice of the virtues of uh, right speech and right action and right livelihood, uh, you become a person of great peace of mind. And uh, you have very little inner agitation. You don't have the causes of worry. You know, when we, uh, when we don't practice right speech, and when we don't have pra practice right action, we have the causes of worry and remorse in our mind. And even though you think that you can do something and then walk away and forget about it, it stays in your mind. It may be at a deeper level and you don't actually think about it, but it's there. And then in your meditation, when your mind begins to calm down, that agitation of the mind becomes apparent. So uh, doing these practices does have a lot to do with meditation. Somebody who practices these, these virtues on a regular basis and is successful in them will, when they sit down to meditate, have very few obstructions to the development of concentration and mindful awareness. And then it works the other way, too. 
in terms of practicing the mindfulness and being able to focus our attention well enough to recognize the arising of these non-virtuous mental states and to do something about them. Uh, For someone who doesn't meditate, this would be very difficult. But for somebody who does meditate, as they develop concentration and mindful awareness, it becomes naturally much easier to, to do this practice and to make these changes. So this is, this is a practice I would strongly recommend for everyone. Uh, and, you know, when we say virtue isn't just in the not doing. Virtue isn't just in uh, not lying and not stealing and, uh, and things like that. Virtue is also has that entire positive side to it. That to go beyond desire uh, means to uh, uh, go into generosity, and to go beyond ill will means to go into uh, loving kindness. Uh, to go beyond uh, the uh, uh, desire to harm other people out of our uh, anger or uh, greed or anything else. you can go beyond the not doing of that to the state of loving kindness and wanting the best for other people and wanting to help other people and be a benefit to them. So this is this is the practice of, of virtue really is in uprooting all of the unwholesome mental states and replacing them with wholesome mental states. Uh, very much a part of the path and will greatly facilitate meditation practice. It is, uh, it is in fact, uh, the foundation that concentration and insight are based on. You have to have a certain degree of uh, virtue in order for concentration to develop. And you have to have a certain amount of concentration for insight to develop. And you have to have virtue, concentration, and insight together for awakening to occur. So that's one suggestion. Make, make your whole life your practice. I, I have a question. Mm-hmm. I'm to the point that any time if I have any negative feeling, after the feeling of I I know what comes, oh, good. but I couldn't stop before it. Mm-hmm. I always aware of it after the feeling, mm-hmm. you know, arise. Yeah. So I'm trying, you know, trying to to prevent it arise, but I always realize after it happened. So and then I, and then I get mad with myself. Say, I know that I knew how how come I get upset, and then now. I don't get upset, I got a headache. <laughs> 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 so I don't know what to do. How to prevent for it happen? Stop getting mad at yourself. What? Stop getting mad at yourself. Stop getting mad at myself. Yeah. So you think I get mad, the headache was caused by because I get mad at myself. I think I, so. <laughs> so. So this is... Uh, 
So, so now you're, you're at the stage where now you always are aware of it when the mental, ne- mental state yeah, arises. Yeah, almost any kind of negative feeling, mm-hmm. I know what it's called. After it happened, I would say, oh, because whatever all the reasons mm-hmm. you have mentioned. And, and are you aware of it in time to keep from acting on it or saying something? Well, if, if with my husband, I will act out. <laughs> 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 But see what what happens is you, you have a habit of mind that produces that 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 uh, it's call it karma, call it conditioning, call it a habit of mind. First it produces the negative mental state, and then secondly that at least if it's your husband, causes you to go ahead and say something. Right. right. So those things are already there, and you want to change them. I, I think he also had tendency to provoke, provoke me. I don't know why. Uh, well, and you know, uh, he couldn't. He couldn't do it if you didn't already have the the uh, predisposition for it in your mind. Well, I think he he cares so much about my health, mm-hmm. and I I told him because you worry if I die, you don't have any companion. That's why you tried to kill <laughs> Yeah, well, you just need to change that habit of getting mad. So let him get mad, and you see him with compassion. <laughs> you know, he, he gets mad, and you think, and, and you just have compassion for this man who's afraid he's going to lose his companion. So he can keep getting mad, and you can keep having compassion, and it's no problem for you. But you're doing the wrong thing now. By the time I think about that, I'm behind already See, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I know what I But you see, you can't change the what happens now. Mm-hmm. If you get mad, you can't change that. That's your past conditioning that caused you to get mad. You can't change your past conditioning. Mm-hmm. But you can change your future conditioning. Mm-hmm. But you tell me that you're not. You're saying, uh, I get mad at him, and then I realize it. And then I get mad at myself. Well, now how does this help? <laughs> I didn't think about my headaches caused by my angry myself. Thank you so much. <laughs> but you see, it, it never, you will never overcome negative mental states by creating another negative mental state, even if it's aimed at yourself. You know, a new, just creating new negative mental states isn't going to do anything at all to remove the conditioning for negative mental states. So, so you start off with having compassion for yourself. Oh, this is this. Thank you. Yeah. Right? You see? <laughs> you say, well, you, <laughs> here you go. Okay. You, you got mad. You recognize it. 
Now you feel bad because you, you got mad. Okay, have compassion for yourself and say, okay, you know, uh, let me try to replace this negative mental state with one that is wholesome, which, which is, compassion is a good example, or loving kindness is a good one. Your husband says something, and you know, he, 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 he gets mad because he's worried about losing a companion. So instead of you getting mad back, you have compassion for, for him. Whatever it was that you said, you say, well, I'm sorry I said that. I understand that all you want is, is me to stay healthy. You don't need to say, because you don't want to have to do without me, you don't need to say that part. <laughs> well, well, you. I, I can say sorry to anybody except me. But you, can, you won't have a headache. <laughs> well, you bet you, you, maybe that's a really good thing for you to learn to, to, yeah. to, uh, to do. I need to learn that. Okay. Maybe if you can't say I'm sorry, start off with, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> we always fighting to say who's right. To say who's right. Oh, wow. <laughs> they see, you know, you can win all of the fights now. You can win every fight by letting him be right. But then I told him, I'm so angry with you because you also made me angry. And we also angry. He said, but without our life is so boring. Without you, my life is nothing. It's boring. That we have energy back and forth, and it's fun. And he called me like, Maybe it's just more angry. <laughs> you know, you don't have a problem at all. <laughs> I mean, if you get over getting upset, he'll find you boring. He'll stop getting mad at you because he won't care whether you die. <laughs> <laughs> so much, but I just, I, I just, you know, I, I haven't argued with him oh, ever since October. No, no it's really. <laughs> 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 the last thing we're not arguing, I just couldn't stand it all. Yeah. <laughs> it was so bad. Okay, well, this, 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 is, this is funny and this is fun. But I mean, really and truly, you know, I, your headache, it is. It's coming from you getting mad at yourself. And getting mad at yourself, this is not the way to solve the problem. You know, it's not the way to solve the problem. It's just, and, and, and you don't need to, you don't need to necessarily apologize. But if you come to the point where you can apologize, that's wonderful. But don't worry about that. You don't need to, all you need to do is be mindfully aware. Just examine, okay, examine the whole situation. This is the mental state, this is the cause of, excuse me, this is the cause of the mental state. And this doesn't make me feel good. This doesn't serve me. Uh, makes me do things. Doesn't make my husband feel good. Uh, these negative mental states are not conducive to my spiritual practice. That's all you have to do is recognize that. Plant that seed. And let that seed begin to, to grow. But don't get mad at yourself. Right? Just... And, and I think if you do that, there won't be any headache either. But, yes? Can I say, like the situation like this, if she can cultivate compassionate, mm -hmm. it's real so. Like if she can develop compassionate. Compassion? Yeah. Is that going to help her not upset? No. It certainly is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why I uh, say compassion for myself first. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, if, if, if she can have compassion. First of all, if she's getting mad at herself, she better start with developing compassion for herself so she stops getting mad at herself. You see, and the problem, the reason you get mad at yourself is that you believe you're in control of your emotions and your behavior uh, to, to a degree that you're not really. I mean, this, we, none of us are. You know, we, we, we imagine to ourselves that we have so much more control than we really do. You know, so the only way that you can get mad at yourself is by making that unrealistic assumption that, that somehow you can do the impossible and keep yourself from doing the things that you have the karma to do. You know. So, first she has to have the compassion to stop getting mad at yourself. But what that will lead to is that she'll come to have the compassion not to get mad at her husband or at anyone else in, in other circumstances. And this all spills over into everything else. I mean, if she, if she practices this in her interactions with her husband, other circumstances with other people will not so easily cause uh, anger to come up and instead compassion will be there instead. So, yeah. I have a question. Uh, take her case as example. I have a karma uh, question. Is that possible if she doesn't solve this problem, this life? I mean, uh, she's not uh, getting graduate from this relationship, so she will get him as a for husband next life again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, these karmic predispositions will indeed come together again in another person that is reborn, that is born in the future. These, these karmic predispositions are, they have a relationship with each other and, and they don't, there's not a self that they're attached to. There's not a self that is going to die and then carry all these over and be reborn in the next life. But these karmic predispositions tend to stay together. You know the way that uh, a handful of leaves thrown into a stream tends to continue down the stream together, right? Mm -hmm. They'll stay together. There will be another being born and this com combination of karmic predispositions is going to appear again in uh, uh, basically the mind stream continues and the karma that's carried will come together again in another being. And uh, because those karmic predispositions are there, this other being will find themselves in a circumstance where uh, the same karma is activated and, and continues. So if you want to say, well, is that going to be a relationship with the same husband? You know, um, in a sense, yes, but in a sense, no. In a sense, yes, in that, that none of us is really separate. And all of this, all of these, the karma that we make and the consequences of this karma 
It's all interconnected. Her husband makes karma every time he is one of these interactions too. You know, and so in a sense, all of these karmic results will keep manifesting. But but there's not a separate self. That's the thing that we that we when we start thinking that there is a separate self uh, that the husband is, there's a separate self that the wife is, and now exactly these two cells are going to come into being in the future and then come together again to work out all this karma. This is a nice way of thinking about it. It's uh, it's sort of romantic and interesting and everything else like that. But what the Buddha said is there isn't any self. All there is is the action and the result, the karma and, and the results of the karma. And so these this karma is carried in the in the mind stream and its results will will appear. But that's not the same as saying that the self and the self that each of us is doesn't doesn't really exist except as a uh, construction of our mind. But there is something that continues on. Uh, if there's a self that we really are, it's way beyond any of this. And uh, may not help to make it any clearer, but the the idea that people have that they can follow a, a series of previous lifetimes one after another that is all the same person is a misunderstanding. See, that uh, in a sense uh, I'm you in a previous lifetime or in another lifetime and you're me in another lifetime. We're all, we all are each other in different lifetimes, different manifestations. That's why there's nothing that we can do that won't come back to us, because anything that we do to each other, we do to ourselves. And this just keeps happening over and over again. So. But if you work on this karma now and change it, then the the karmic predispositions that will come together in in another embodiment at another time will be of a completely different nature. And if they are ones based on on uh, love and compassion, and in which there is very little uh, ill will and negativity. Then it will be, it will be a much happier uh, and more pleasant existence. So. <laughs> yeah. So we better take care of all our relationship this lifetime. And. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. The self that you are in this lifetime can only be awakened in this lifetime. But the, the 
in the continuity of things, uh, whatever you do is going to continue on. Uh, so, you try to become awakened in this lifetime, and then as a part of trying to become awakened, you try to overcome as much of your negative karma and create as much good karma as you can, so that uh, some other self that really isn't the same as you, but that inherits that karma, is, uh, is going to have a much better chance of becoming awakened and of being happy. It's a, it's a difficult thing when we start talking about this, and it's mostly easier to talk about rebirth as though there was a self that's being reborn. This is what people are most comfortable with. It's easiest to understand, but the real reason isn't that it's easiest to understand, it's that most people are comfortable It's that sense of relief. Uh, we fear annihilation, and the idea that this self isn't the self that's going to be reborn, creates the threat of annihilation. And the whole point of the uh, Buddhist teaching and the awakening is there is no annihilation, but that's not because this same self is reborn. So, that's, so when we talk about it, rather than just glibly talk about, you know, just glibly say that well, yeah, she'll, she'll be reborn and she'll probably have to work this out with her husband next lifetime. Which feeds into the, uh, both the fear we have of annihilation and the hope that we won't be annihilated and that we will come in the next life. I mean, uh, rather than state it in that easy way, I'd much rather uh, put it a, a little more accurately. I mean, after all, think about this. If, uh, you know, you've, you've had uh, infinite previous lives, but what is the impact of that on you, uh, your experience in this life? I mean, can you remember them? Can you take, do you take uh, pride in uh, what you accomplished in your last life? And, and uh, it, it, does it console you in any way? It doesn't. Really, the only thing, the only benefit that could come if you could remember previous lives is that you could learn the lessons from observing those. And that's what the Buddha did on the night of his enlightenment. He reviewed hundreds of thousands, uh, some uncountable number of previous lives and learned from them. But that's the only thing, is that we learn from those previous lives. And... There's no self in, you know, suppose you have a, a, a memory of another person's uh, life experience that took place a hundred years ago. Is that any different than hearing somebody tell a story, or seeing a movie, or for that matter, having a genuine recollection of somebody else's life? I mean, it was somebody else's life, it was a different person. So other than what you can learn from it, other than what you can learn from it, there's really nothing to be gained from all of these past lives anyway. Uh, I mean, there's cause and effect, and karma has results, and what we are is a karmic result. 
But beyond that, the personality part of it, the self part of it in previous lives, it, uh, it doesn't give us anything, nor in a future life. To anything that we, you know, in any hope that, or attachment that we put in a future life, even if you were reincarnated, and it was you again and another, if you couldn't remember this, what would be the difference? You'd never know. It'd make no difference at all. So, so what, is, what is passed on is karma. Karma and the results of, of karma. And ultimately, ultimately we're all, we're all the same being. That's the same... Uh, the same Buddha nature that needs to be purified of all of these defilements that uh, cause the suffering and unhappiness of, of uh, ordinary human existence, of ordinary worldly existence. But anyway, back to this. So, back to the way that we change ourselves. We have, we can change ourselves. We can change our karma. Look at it this way: you have, from an infinite number of past lives. You have an infinite store of good karma, and you have an infinite store of bad karma. And what you have in this mind stream at the moment is a collection of karmic predispositions that make you behave in certain ways and make certain things happen. And you can change that. You can replace what's there with something better. And you can do it through the power of mindful awareness. And, uh, and as a tool for helping you to practice mindful awareness, in doing that, you can use reflection. The important thing, though, when you remember, is not to get mad at yourself, not to blame yourself, not to do anything, but first of all, in terms of what you find in the moment, is accept it. It couldn't be any other way. It is a result. And unless you have a time machine and can go back and change the past, it is what it is and it cannot be changed. So, don't get mad at yourself. But this is your opportunity to change the future. And the most powerful tool you have is mindful awareness. The most powerful tool you have is to be able to see clearly what is happening and its causes and its consequences. And... Uh, that's 99.99% of it. If, if you already have enough of the better kind of karma when you become mindfully aware of it, then you can probably restrain yourself from doing and saying things. And if you already have uh, enough of the better kind of karma, you, you can... Uh, then not only restrain yourself from saying or doing something, but you can actually arouse a, a wholesome mental state to replace the negative mental state. And if you continue, you'll come to the point where you have enough of the wholesome kind of karma that when that kind of event arises, that only the wholesome mental state arises and not the, and not the unwholesome one. And that's all completely, completely doable, and, and it's a kind of result that you can, can quick, that you can quickly see. So, I, and I know there's people in this room that can attest to that. 
anybody can change in remarkable, dramatic ways that may seem impossible. But change more quickly than you realize. And the interesting thing about it is uh, that the workings of karma are so complex and, and uh, uh, everything is so interconnected that you don't just see the change in your own mental states and behaviors, but you see the changes in the circumstances you find yourself in. You see the changes in the kind of experiences that life presents to you and that, that arise for you. So you also, you, you find your, you, your whole life changes when you, uh, when you do this. See, this is this this is exactly the problem. The reason that everybody doesn't change themselves is because they're not able to detect the problem, and especially not at the right time. So these are our tools. The tools are the the uh, the practice of the uh, perfectionists and and the precepts. Those are the tools. Those help us to understand what the things are that we need to change. And then the reflection that I'm suggesting to you, that's the tool that allows you to become aware of those things that you need to change at the time that you have an opportunity to be mindful of them. Okay? So this is, this is uh, very important. I'm glad that you asked this question because it allows me to uh, summarize the most important thing about it. Uh, the... These perfections are they're the they're the first tool that we have, and these idea the idea that all of our problems are rooted in desire and aversion and ignorance. This is a very important piece of information that if we keep this in mind, it allows us to to uh, look out for desire when it arises, and to look out for aversion when it arises. Uh, and then, if we take uh, each of these perfections, and particularly, let's take the precepts, we take the precepts. The precepts give us something specific to focus on. You know, uh, not taking what is not freely given. This is something very specific. And there are many people who who don't realize that that's a problem for them. They take things that aren't theirs all the time. But they rationalize it in their mind 
so well that they don't even realize what a large problem it is. Um, and there are many different ways of taking what is not freely given. Right? So somebody like that, they and, until until they have a precept like that to try to follow, they don't have any hope of becoming aware of these things. But then, if you take a precept not to take what is not freely given, and you really try to keep it, then you have to keep looking uh, at your behavior, and then you start to notice what you're doing. Without the reflection, you might go through the day, and there might be 50 things that you do to some degree or another that involve taking something that's not freely given. But you have such a strong habit that you instantly rationalize it that you don't, you're not even aware of it. You know, you walk away with somebody's ballpoint pen and you take a box of paper clips home from the office and, and you don't report something on your income tax. And by the end of the day, there's all these times that you've done things, you know, <laughs> and you don't even know about them because every case it, it, it just, it's, but then if you reflect, then you're going to start to notice, you're going to start to remember. So, so that's, uh, the, the precepts are the first tool and the reflection is the second tool. And then the mindfulness is, that's the most important one of all. This is all to bring the mindfulness in. And it's not so much about changing what you do through your willpower or changing it yourself as it is through allowing mindfulness, mindful awareness, to change the predispositions that you have, to weaken those. Then it becomes easy to restrain the behavior. And then also it becomes easy to let go of, uh, of the uh, unwholesome uh, mental state or the unwholesome action uh, and replace it with something that's wholesome. So I can't stress enough, mindful awareness is the most powerful part of this. It's just knowing when you do it. And even if you don't realize till 10 minutes after you've done it, you can still practice mindful awareness. You can still examine the action and the causes and the consequences and let ignorance be converted into wisdom. This is really what you're doing. Bottom line, this is really what this is all. This is the practice of using mindful awareness to convert ignorance into wisdom. And the more wisdom there is and the less ignorance there is, then there is less uh, uh, ability for desire and aversion to drive your behavior. But like in terms of a personality, you know, she was, mm-hmm. you say, well, you know, the personality trait might be that somebody's proud or prideful. Yeah. So... Until they become aware that... You can't make somebody, you only work on your own pride. That's right, yeah. You can't change anybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you try to change other people, you 
Maybe you don't get headaches, huh? <laughs> oh, probably get more headaches. <laughs> Different kind of headaches. <laughs> Do you introduce it to him in the, you know, just in a subtle way, or not? Not to change him, you know, because you really can't change a person; they have to change themselves. Like to, to kind of help him out with that. Well, yes. It any opportunity that you ever have to help somebody else uh, let go of a uh, uh, of an unwholesome mental state, then you should do that. But at the same time, you have to recognize that that it's uh, it might not work. A lot of times, it's not going to work. The ability to do that uh, is what's called skillful means, and you you have to develop skillful means, and uh, it's not it's not easy. <laughs> and you have to you have to you, and you have to for it truly to be skillful means you've got to be coming from from uh, a pretty pure and clear place. You know, it's not a if you're coming from a place of judgment, the other person's going to detect it immediately and they're going to resist. It's only if you're coming from a place of love that at an unconscious level they're going to allow themselves to, to be open in the first place. So, uh, so you know, it, it's, uh, it's very important to try to help other people to make desirable changes in themselves. But we have to look at ourselves first. You know. And maybe one of the most important ways to make these changes is to make them in yourself first. Um, yeah. I kind of have a question regarding to you. I read some book and those masters, they suggest you know, people ask and they suggest this. The most important thing uh, is just mindful to watch, observe mm -hmm. the old thoughts, behavior, or feeling, whatever. You know, and and the most important, they are emphasized again and again for several months to just just watch, just observe, watch. observe. Yeah. no any further correction or anything. Mm -hmm. And I also remember the first time I I met you. Mm -hmm. And I also asked a question, and I think at that time you also suggest me to observe and watch, and I, mm -hmm. I asked, "Does it?" They said, "Yes." Yeah. <laughs> Just watch, okay. And but I hear some here today discussing as also involve some correction, mm -hmm. you know. So, but but I, that that's fine. But I just want to uh, uh, now back to this. It's by uh, focus on. Observing what mm -hmm. itself, mm -hmm. it, you know, is that fully? I shouldn't say enough, or that mm -hmm. is that, or, or I, we still need to put some effort for collect correction, or allow, or we just watch our 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 mind, or our job is watching that, then allow the wisdom to 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 collect correct itself. Mm -hmm. Or we should, you know, put a personal effort. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, okay. This is really good to clarify. Like I, I, I said ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of it 
the mindful awareness will do it. But there is there is a room for intentional effort. For example, you're angry, you recognize it, you realize you're about to say something. Rather than just watch yourself say something that is mean, you can stop yourself. I mean, if you can, if you can stop yourself. And, that, and I think everybody recognizes that. If you find yourself becoming, uh, becoming irritated at things and putting yourself in a bad mood, and you're mindful of it, then that makes it easy for you to let go of it. But you're still going to let go of it, or at least you're still going to desire to let go of it. So there, there is, although all of the real work is done by mindfulness, there still is some room there for making a correction. Right? But at the same time, if you get angry and you can't restrain yourself and you say it anyway, be mindful of it. But you're better off if you can restrain yourself from, from saying the thing. Right? As a matter of fact, what you'll find, if you're being mindful, uh, I mean, the only way that you could restrain yourself from saying something is you is you would already have to be pretty close to uh, uh, not needing to say that anyway. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you would be able to not do it. But if you can't restrain your... More likely what would happen is you become angry, you're about to say something, you do restrain yourself, and then the other person says something else, and then you end up saying it anyway. That's more likely what's going to happen. Right? So it's good that you restrain yourself the first time. But it's also absolutely no reason to blame yourself for when uh, uh, the situation continued and you went ahead and said it. Just be mindful. Be mindful of the whole thing. Um, and the point that you're making is it's very important. You don't really have that control over your mental states and you don't really have that control over your actions that you think you do. But if you're just mindful, you will, you will come to have that. It's a great state of progress when you come to the point where you can be mindful of something and let go of it and it goes away. So. Okay. At least so far, I practice mindful watching of the... And that, and that, will, do the, that, that will do the trick. You practice this mindful watching. But, um, you've seen a lot of changes in yourself, right? You've seen a lot of changes in... Uh, things you say and do, but you've also seen a lot of changes in the attitudes that arise in reaction to situations, too. And and that's the result of it. Um, So, you know, if you were to say, well, uh, if I say that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of changes in the things I say and do, uh, and I take credit for that by saying that I now stop myself from doing those things. Do you really? No. no. You, you've changed yourself so that the impulse to say those things comes up. 
but you can let go of it when it comes up. And that even that letting go is not that's not through the power of your will in the moment. It's just because you've already got to a point where you know it it it, it could go either way. There's not there's it's not uh, forty nine fifty one. It's fifty fifty, and that's where you let go of it, and then it's gone. But because it's fifty fifty, if you weren't mindful, if you were distracted, if you were if your judgment was clouded through fatigue or drugs or something like that, then comes fifty fifty, and you might go ahead and say the thing. But if it's fifty fifty, and you have mindful awareness, you let go of it. So, um, you're absolutely right. No point in trying to change anything because you, you can't uh, change it in the moment. But if you've already made the change in the past, then, then you can allow the, uh, allow the change to manifest in the, manifest in the present moment. But I find that what you just said is very true because uh, from my own personal experience, if, I, if I'm mindful, mm-hmm. most of the time I let go of mm-hmm. those unwholesome you know, speech or like, yeah. thinking. Most of the time when I make a mistake, mm-hmm. it's because I'm not mindful. That's right. Yeah, either I'm too overexcited or too tired or... Anyway, if I'm not mindful, mm-hmm. it's very dangerous because I just yeah. react very quick, very mm-hmm. fast. That's right. And then I regret afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Mindfulness has to be there. Yeah. Yeah. And without it... And, if you, and, that, and that's the unfortunate part. If you stop practicing mindfulness, you know, then the habitual patterns come back and then as soon as they come back once, if you continue not to practice mindfulness, they start to come back more and more often, and you can end up back where you started. <laughs> that's the unfortunate part of it, um, and that's why, you know, we speak of um, uh, the, these are all hindrances. Uh, worldly desires a hindrance, and ill wills a hindrance, and uh, these are these are hindrances which can be overcome, they can be suppressed, uh, you can condition yourself away from them, but the roots still exist. You can become a totally virtuous person, and then if you cease to practice mindfulness, and you cease to practice the virtues, you can regress. It may take a long time, you know. If you've been a totally virtuous person for 20 years, it may uh, take a lot of, of may may take years of carelessness to to turn into the kind of person that you never wanted to be, but it can still happen. So the only way to permanently to make these changes permanent, the only thing that permanently uproots the control of desire and aversion and ignorance in our life is awakening, is enlightenment. Everything else is temporary. No matter how much good karma you create, it can get used up. So. But nevertheless, 
in order to get to the point of awakening, you need to work on making these changes in yourself. And uh, it's a really good deal because you get to enjoy the immediate benefits of it. As you get rid of all of these unwholesome tendencies, you eliminate a lot of, of suffering and unhappiness in your life immediately. And then also you start to enjoy all the benefits of the, the good karma from that. So, you know, good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just had a quick question about um, the. Uh, my mom just wanted to know what the, the view was on, on euthanasia and, and what. Where do you. I mean, it doesn't have to be a, a really long answer. But just, Well, it's it's getting late, and so it probably shouldn't be a really long answer. It would be a really brief answer. Um, Euthanasia, you mean like um, assisted suicide sort of thing? Well, To the, the there is a, a human existence is so valuable and uh, so special that uh, that's what makes killing somebody such a, a, a terribly unwholesome thing to do. But an assisted suicide becomes uh, basically the only the only way that uh, it would really be an assisted suicide is if the person were unable to do it. They wanted to die. They sincerely wanted to die, but they were unable to do that themselves. And there's not a simple answer to this. A person could be uh, motivated, even though they had precepts against killing, out of love, sincerely, out of love and compassion, they might be motivated to help another person who's experiencing terrible, terrible pain and suffering and, and uh, ask them to do that. In which case, if their motivation is truly uh, out of uh, Loving-kindness is probably not an unwholesome act. It may or may not be wise. (coughs) And the reason that it may or may not be wise is because the person they're assisting could, theoretically at least, still perhaps achieve liberation in, in this lifetime. But that's getting pretty theoretical when you start talking real life situations. Uh, so. But about all I can say is that uh, the most important thing is the intention. That's the absolute most important thing at all. And for something, for an act of such magnitude, the person would have to have the absolute purest intention, and they would have to have tremendous clarity uh, and 
even there, unless they had uh, some special sort of uh, wisdom, you know, they couldn't really know that this was a, whether or not this is a wise course of action. In general, though, any avoidable act of killing should be avoided. Okay. Why did your mother ask this question? Um, we we had a we were, well her, her my granddad he kind of he mm-hmm. had had uh, cancer, so he he was in a lot of pain and he would kind of ask for that mm-hmm. and you know we we can't be Catholics are just like no way that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I'm not Catholic but my mom really is and so. Um, but she, she, I think she feels a little bit of like remorse for, I don't know, you know, not doing what she could have done to ease his pain. Well, see, uh, there we get into purity of motives. Um, if somebody agrees to uh, assist in an act of euthanasia out of, to, to avoid the pain of their own remorse and regret for something that they've done, then that's an impure motivation. That's not that's not coming 100% out of loving kindness for the other person. That's coming out of uh, desire and aversion on their point, part. They're trying to assuage their own pain. And so once again, every every person has to decide for themselves. But that's exactly the kind of motivation that you have to examine. You know, to what degree am I doing this for my own benefit? Uh, you know, a similar question is uh, to, to, to do with uh, if, uh, if a person is on life support. And as a Buddhist, I have absolutely no problem with, you know, uh, if somebody uh, has signed one of those forms that says, you know, if I'm on life support and there's not a reasonable chance of recovery or, or uh, of uh, recovering with uh, 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 the faculties necessary for, you know, in other words, the choice between that and living in a vegetative state. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong as a Buddhist with signing those forms or uh, entering into that kind of agreement. Or uh, if somebody has made clear in advance that that's what their wishes are, you know, giving instructions to physician as surviving family member or so forth. There's no problem in that at all. Okay. okay. The hypothetical euthanasia situation, as I understand, you're talking about it, is a person has their faculties. They're conscious. Uh, they could potentially become enlightened, but they would rather die, and that's that's the very complicated situation. And uh, and if you're the person asked to exist uh, as a Buddhist, you would have to be able to plumb to the absolute core of your being and make sure that your motivations were absolutely pure and not in any way selfish before you could could consider that. You might go ahead and do that, but then 
it's like anything else that we do that we uh, uh, create karmic consequences of, we have the karmic consequences. Well, um, running out of time again, unless we're going to stay up for New Year's. I don't think I'm up to staying up for New Year's. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so this is this is a, our, our our last talk and our last evening, and uh, it's I really enjoyed. I've enjoyed this retreat with you, and I've enjoyed these talks, and thank you very much all your wonderful questions and uh, interesting discussions. Uh, so I hope uh, I hope it's been as good for you as it has been for me. And uh, let's let's uh, take a few minutes to stretch and go to the washroom and then we'll sit together till bedtime unless you want to sit up and meditate till welcome the new year, which is absolutely fine with me. <laughs>